Welcome, friends, to the True Myth Media Podcast, a conversational cinema community. For those of you who don't know, I normally put out a call on Wednesday, usually in a Facebook direct message, to some of the people that like to call into the show as a reminder to let them know what time they need to get their segments in if they want to be included in the show. And the response to those sorts of calls have been great. Whenever I uh, whenever I put out there that I need some calls, I can count on within the next 24 to 48 hours, I'll be getting calls. So I decided that this week, rather than putting that call out just through a direct message on Facebook, I would actually put that call out in a bonus episode of the show. Uh, I was hoping to get it out yesterday, but, you know, time is what it is. So uh, this is that call. Uh, I'm looking for segments for the next episode. Uh, We're going to be talking about Jesus films. Uh, It's something that I've wanted to talk about for a long time, uh, just because I grew up watching Jesus films, lots of them in church. Uh, I know in the West Michigan area, especially because we have a very heavy uh, church attendance, uh, especially for a lot of us growing up, uh, we probably have a lot of experience with this. So I would love to hear how you feel about Jesus films, favorites, least favorites, uh, themes that you like, things that you see as more problematic, um, kind of anything you've, anything that kind of sparks your interest when I say Jesus movies. And to kind of prime that thought pump a little bit, uh, I'm going to play now. It's about an hour-long conversation between Chris Yisley and myself. Chris is a frequent caller into the show and writes articles as well. So uh, if you need a little help getting the old brain jogged, uh, I'll play that conversation here in a sec. The cutoff time for any calls that you would like included in the call-in show is going to be on Friday night at midnight. I'm going to edit the show Saturday morning and put it out over the weekend. So as long as you get your call in by Friday night at midnight, and of course, as usual, the number to call is 616-287-0275. That's 616-287-0275. Or you can email michael at truemythmedia.com with your segment uh, by midnight on Friday. Enjoy this conversation between myself and Chris Yisley, where we discuss a couple of TV miniseries about Jesus' life. One uh, from back in the 70s, I believe, Jesus of Nazareth, and the other one, a YouTube streaming series that is currently be crowdfunded called The Chosen. Also, sorry for the choppy audio. Uh, This is my first time recording in front of my computer screen, and it was kind of distracting to see the waveform coming up, and I actually found myself watching it and kind of stuttering along with it, waiting to see my voice show up. So sorry if that was a bit halting, but... uh, Hopefully, I'll have that all cleaned up next time because I'll have done it once before. Thanks. Yeah, so I actually just finished watching The Chosen. 
uh i saved the last episode so i could watch it right before oh, we, that's had good our, idea. we had our conversation um and it's interesting i guess my parents had recommended this to me a while back too but it didn't register or stick with me for whatever reason when they did um so i talked with my mom a little bit about it a couple weeks ago as well um yeah, my first thoughts on it, well, I'll, I'll say that, like, it's a going to be a mixed review for me, mm-hmm. um, because, uh, like, it's such a, there's so much content there that, like, kind of like with Jesus of Nazareth, which is, like, six hours long, you know, The Chosen is around six hours, like, once you cut out all that, like, the commercial stuff, um, and certain storylines are done really really well others i just can't stand um and in that way i guess you could compare it to other like binge worthy tv like game of thrones where certain storylines i'm really into and other ones i'm not like i was not a fan of like the Arya stark line in game of thrones and uh, you know, other people just love that one. For me, the one that stands out as the most interesting is Nicodemus mm-hmm. in the movie. Uh, oh, shoot, of course. What's this guy's name? Real quick, I gotta look it up. Because I'm yeah, that, always, in a couple things. I'm always referencing this guy because he's in everything. Everyone knows who he is because um, he's got very distinctive look. Yeah. And Everyone knows him, but nobody knows who he he's is. He's in Stargate, I think, is the first thing I ever saw him That's in. That's right. I forgot he was in Stargate. Um, let's see. His name... Eric Avari. Hmm. Eric Avari. He's a really fantastic actor. He's great in everything, pretty much. Uh, I think... The the story of Nicodemus is one of a genuine seeker. I think in in a very interesting way that is not common for Christian movies. Like the presence of the demonic in that story, um, the coming at it from the place of education. Like, a lot of Christian movies focus on, you know, rightly so, because this is how things actually happened, but, uh, you know, Jesus coming to the poor and to the downtrodden and the oppressed and everything, and seeing him come to a religious leader, or a religious leader who comes to him, who is literally just looking around himself and trying to be open to God and sees something he doesn't know how to explain and is entranced by that and follows. I thought that was really cool. Um, like when he goes to free Lilith from, <clears throat> Lilith from the demons and he can't do it. Like, Man, you don't see that in a Christian movie very much. <laughs> where, where <he's> yeah. like, <laughs> but then, I don't know. I really like that. I like the portrayal of Jesus, too. Um, it's, a, it's a little jokey for my taste, um, the series as a whole, actually. Um, but 
uh, I I kind of like how they're approaching Jesus. Not as I, I don't care for a lot of the disciples, um, but the portrayal of Jesus is really interesting because they're obviously dancing around using the actual words that are in scripture. You know, they're trying not to just, you know, when he's talking to Nicodemus, he doesn't say for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, he doesn't rattle it off the way that we know it from growing Mm up. Um, He does it in more natural feeling words in a conversation. And those feel really true to me. Um, He rarely says something that I'm like, I don't know if Jesus would say that. You know, most of the time, especially one of my, the the episode with the kids, Mm -hmm. because that's an account that's not in scripture. So everything he says there is made up whole cloth. And everything he said like echoed with things that Christ says in the Bible. So like when the little girl, he's trying to comfort her about being poor, you know, and she's like, you know, all my friends are rich or whatever. And, you know, and he says, uh, he says being born poor isn't so bad. Someday you'll understand that. Or being rich is not um, as good as you think it might be. You know, he says something along those lines and I'm like, you know, that's not actually, Hey, <laughs> Kubrick, stop it. That's not actually in scripture, but it sounds very Jesus-like. It doesn't feel out of place. Um, and I really I really like that. I like some of the symbolism in that particular episode as well. The main things that I struggled with were, I'm not a fan of the disciples. Um they felt very much like modern Christians to me. Um, Like the struggles that they're dealing with, like uh, for anybody who hasn't seen this show, it's a, you know, it's about Jesus, but like it's really from the perspective of the disciples. So Mm. they're kind of your in characters. It's not like Jesus of Nazareth, which is really following around just Jesus from beginning to end. Um, and I don't like the guy who's playing Peter. I don't think he's a particularly great actor. <laughs> um, he seems to be playing it like an excited new, like excited kid from LA or something. I don't know. Um, like I could almost see him go surfing on the Sea of Galilee at times. He's not a surfer guy, like cliche. He's not talking like this man or anything, but. You know, he just looks like he belongs in our modern world. Um, And so do most of the disciples, the way that they behave. Um, Even like, for example, Peter's wife. Like, the exchanges with her about like when, when he decides to follow Jesus with all the, and all the shady dealings that he's had on the side and all like not telling her about it and everything. And, uh, she's just such an idyllic, like, wife. 
in some ways that she's like she is like the modern christian cliche of what a wife should be like oh no go ahead i know this decimates our earning potential but i've always seen in you this thing and jesus sees it too you know it's like this it doesn't feel like how do you describe it they don't feel like old Jews, <laughs> you know, um, at least to me. So why did, why did it stand out to you? Uh, I know you said that you checked it out because it was getting a lot of, like, attention. Because it's part of, like, some Kickstarter thing. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think I appreciated that they, the, the biggest thing I appreciated about the series as I was watching it was that they did, kind of the course reversal from what most, I guess, Jesus movies or media do, which is not stick to the text. Like, let's just do the peripheral around the, the text mm-hmm. and we can give them something that they haven't seen before. Cause maybe subconsciously that's a reason why normally Jesus movies turn off for me. Cause I'm like, well, if you're just going to tell me the thing that I read every day, then you have nothing new. You have nothing new to me here. So, like, give me something new, and that's that's the, the that's a concept that's throughout you know writing and editing is what's the what are dramatic questions? What are the hooks? What are you doing to keep your audience engaged with your piece? Yeah. And if you give them something that feels familiar, but it actually is brand new, like episode one comes up, and if you're a Christian audience. The whole thing, the entire time I was wondering, like, okay, when's Jesus going to show up? And we're like, we're like two minutes away from the end of this hour-long episode. Jesus still isn't there. Mm -hmm. And so there's this anticipation, What's when's he going to come? Because we know this is kind of, he's in this somewhere. Because it's kind of his show, right? It's kind of his show, right? (laughs) Uh, but, But also, it's all new. Like, none of this, while... When I mentioned starts, this in the article, towards the end of the series, it starts turning more into some of the gospel accounts. But right. in the beginning, it's very much before any of that. Yes, and that's what I think is the main hook. Is because even if you're familiar with the gospel narratives, you have no idea how these episodes are going to play out. Yeah, I mean, you know, some things like, true. well, none of these disciples are going to die yet, so we know they're all okay, and so you know, like certain things aren't going to happen. But you don't like the peripherals; mm-hmm. you don't know. You know, how how are these things going to turn out? And that, I think, is what that's what kept me engaged was that they were taking artistic liberties and focusing on the areas around the main narrative of the gospel without infringing upon the gospel and then coming back to it as a familiar touch point. Um, I I agree. I like that about it, too. I just I guess I like that about it in theory. I don't like the way they execute it. I think is my issue is like, yeah, they, how do you, oh man, there's so many things to talk about when it comes to Jesus movies. That's kind of why I wanted to talk about this with you because I know like with your background (laughs) that Mm -hmm. you've probably seen a ton of them like I have and, you know, probably feel similarly about a lot of them too. Um, (laughs) But it's, it's just uh, finding somebody that has, the the depth of knowledge about the subject in order to talk about it kind of deep 
is hard because most people haven't seen a ton of movies about Jesus because they only watch a couple or maybe one and then they're done because they already know the story, like you said. Um, but like one of the things that uh, kind of about the disciples that I didn't care for as much, it felt like they were constructing a movie rather than rather than painting one or something. I don't know how to describe it exactly. I'm thinking off the top of my head. But mm -hmm. um, it's something that I've noticed a lot in uh, at, about the movie industry in general. And I think you'll see this too because you've got that analytical way of looking at things. So I think you'll see it. Um, as movie making be has become more and more of a business – it has reflected more and more the the style of production as an assembly line, um, where you you're basically taking it to stations, and your producer and director are the ones that walk it through all the different stations, and at the end of it, out pops a finished movie. You know, mm -hmm. editor is doing the final paint touches, and boom, out it goes. Um, and I think that it's led to a remarkable amount of sameness, especially in TV, because there is a standard way of making a horror movie, a standard way of making a superhero movie, a Jesus movie. And like one of the reasons that I think movies like the Avengers fail to be emotionally resonant with people like myself, who've seen a ton of movies is because yeah, Scarlett Johansson may be a great actress and she may try to communicate how sad she is when someone has to die at the end of, or during Endgame, But, She's already tried to communicate that same emotion in five previous Avengers movies. And she may be a great actress, but I bet she wasn't thinking about in that first movie. Now, I got to gauge my grief here because I got to save it for Endgame. <laughs> yeah. So the grief I get in Endgame is the same grief that I get in her first film. And it just doesn't seem to be very impactful. And I feel like the same thing happens with the disciples. I feel like I'm watching the same scene with them over and over and over again. It's <laughs> always Peter just wants to run off and do something. Like, he doesn't know what, he doesn't have any idea what Jesus wants to do, but he's excited as a kid on Christmas. Like, and Jesus is just constantly telling him to wait, you know, and yeah, just a lot of those conversations all the way through the series felt very samey. Um, I didn't care for the portrayal of Matthew. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, I, I feel like it's borderline disrespectful. Um, the, like casting him as someone with autism or Asperger's or something like, mm -hmm. um, 
just because it feels like, I don't know, it, it grew on me some as the as the series went. I actually really like the other characters in his storyline. Um, I like the uh, was it his his immediate commander Gaius, I think is his name, and the guy above him. I think those are really interestingly drawn characters. Like the guy who's excited to find someone he can exploit so openly um, because he's got that cruel dog-eat-dog mentality. It's like, oh, here's a guy I can use to advance my career. Um, Matthew himself, though, uh, I felt like it, he didn't he doesn't feel like a really fully fleshed out human being he feels like a stereotype um what is matthew's character uh he stutters a little bit he doesn't understand things that aren't logical to him he's shy um all of these other things but none of those are about his personality those are things about asperger's Asperger's is his personality in this movie. Um, and that's like what I have a problem with. Like we don't see any of his life or interests outside of what he's doing with the Centurions. Like Peter, you get this very wide ranging view of him, I think. Like in as far as where he's at, he's doing the same thing in all those places. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although there were a couple of moments because, like, you got like James and John, I think, uh, or somebody like they do some funny things, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, those are brothers. That is the sort of thing brothers do for sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, I. There are things I really like about it, but like I said, it's it's more like I have the same problem with it that I have with most bingeable TV. Um, I'm not a fan of that. Most people, I think, that listen to the show know that I'm not. Um, but partially because of the fact that it has to keep going, um, and... I don't know that. Did you watch the live stream version of this or did you, how did you watch it? I didn't watch it live. I watched the, I mean, I watched the clips that are on YouTube, which includes, I guess that does include the live stream production, right. but we would always stop before Dallas came on. Right. And, and some of them he comes on before. So you have to fast forward through. Yeah. So we yeah. just did whatever the episode was. Of that. I watched the first four on YouTube and then they, they had the next four on there for a while. And I watched two more, and then they took it down. So then I had oh, to watch really? it through another service. Okay. Just the just the last four. They still have the first four up. But um, yeah, when Dallas came up to talk about it, he's the producer and I think director and writer yeah. of the show. Mm -hmm. um, and they're doing this campaign to raise money. This is a crowdfunded like effort. And I understand like the need to find funding. Um. And I know that this can sound harsh because, but like, I do hold Christian film to a higher standard. 
Um, and one of those is, uh, I don't know if you should be hawking your wares. <laughs> like, like I, well, the first time he's like, you can get this cool t-shirt and stuff. I'm just like, uh, I don't know if I could put that at, as the bumper for a show that I know there's an episode coming of Jesus turning over some money changing tables. <laughs> like we all know that scene's coming. No, no, Are you that's going when to you sell s- t-shirts that day too. That's when you sell the miniatures of the money changing tables. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get your authentic, uh, Jesus whip, uh, <laughs> a replica of the whip that Jesus made in the temple. <laughs> oh gosh. Babylon B article coming soon. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, again, why I think I like talking to you about this, because I think you you see the Christian industry thing that I'm very cynical about. Um, we probably land in different places on mm-hmm. how much we should or should not engage with it. But I think you know what I'm talking about, at least, um, and probably have yeah. some similar feelings. And so there, some of it is that. Some of it is... Uh, with the other service when I joined, they actually played a one minute ad ahead of the movie mm-hmm. um, instead of doing the live stream thing. And in that one minute ad, it's a lot of Dallas talking about why he made the, the chosen. And he's like, shouldn't the greatest story ever told also have the great, doesn't it deserve, that's what it was. He doesn't it deserve a great bingeable series. And I was just like, what? <laughs> really? Like, that's that's what you think when you read the Bible? Is that it needs a good bingeable series? Like, I mean, I guess bingeable series is now an art form. And just like somebody who loves movies probably, you know, wants to have a good Jesus movie. Someone who loves bingeable TV wants to have a good bingeable TV. Yeah, But to me, it's like, does the world need a, like, is that what Jesus needs? A bingeable TV series? Like, to me, bingeable TV is a negative. So it's really (laughs) hard. (laughs) Because, like, yeah, especially something that I don't, yeah. Here, let's, let's switch tracks just a little bit. Um. Yeah. Jesus of Nazareth. So you watched that, right? Yes, I did. Um, I would love to hear your take on that because I I have nostalgia for it, for sure. That's a movie I grew up with, I will admit, wholeheartedly. It probably has an extra star and a half just because I love I I grew up with it. But somebody who hasn't seen it before and is coming at it you know, as an adult, I, I'd be interested to see what you think about it since it's an older, older uh, miniseries. It's another TV thing, though. Yeah. Um, so Jesus of Nazareth, like between I between Jesus of Nazareth and The Chosen, I'm starting to become more increasingly convinced that if you're going to try and tell the whole gospel story, you can't do it in a movie that's a little ambitious. Like, yep. If you want to do a movie, pick a vignette yep. and expand on it and focus in. But like this mini series, both mini series handled, and I guess the jury's still on Chosen because technically it's not done yet. But 
uh, both miniseries handled their their stab at the gospel message or its pacing a lot better than most of the movies do. And I liked watching mm-hmm. this immediately after The Chosen because Jesus of Nazareth approach is like the exact opposite of what The Chosen's approach yeah. was. Where, where it's like, well, here are all these vignettes that we know in the Bible. And rather than create a narrative around it, we're just going to lean super hard into them. Yeah, just uh, like this is going to be a vignette. Like if you watch um, like certain old, like if you watch old prestige films like Jesus of Nazareth or Spartacus or Ten Commandments, it's a big scene and then another big scene. Every scene feels like a short film. In those old prestige movies. Yeah. I think Jesus of Nazareth is like that. Whereas The Chosen. Like. Weaves its narratives together. Gradually over time. Um, So like. Yeah you have the Nicodemus story. But. You get it piecemeal. (laughs) Over six episodes. And it climaxes in episode seven. Whereas in Jesus of Nazareth. That would just be. It would probably have about the same amount of screen time. Dedicated to it. But it would all be in one lump. Yeah. Yeah it would be. It would be in one lump for sure. And it's you're right. It does have those kind of that epic feel of. Here's a big scene. Here's another big scene. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had to. It took me a while to get my brain back on that focus of like watching the miniseries maybe the way it was intended because of uh, one, uh, and this is no, no fault of the miniseries. Normally when I'm watching dubbed films, it's a mystery science theater film. So my brain was like, Oh boy, here we go. Another one of these. It is Italian. It's it's Italian. Italian. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, even like, even people who speak English, their lines are dubbed. Yeah. You know, they, they go and back you, in because they would do lots of recording with bad audio or no audio. Yeah, and it, it's got that feel to it. But so that wasn't a fault of the miniseries. It's just me <laughs> trying to switch off my mystery science theater brain. Uh, and then the other the other thing was that contrast to instead of having storylines throughout time, it's just, well, here's a vignette and here's a vignette. And amongst editors, there's a phrase that goes around when you're editing a piece uh, solve it, don't dissolve it. Mm-hmm. And all of these scenes are dissolved scenes. We're just like, well, we're done now. Bye. And then it comes yeah. back up again. And like, all right, now here's the next scene. And because part of that, that's right, the way the Bible is. That's the way the that's the way the Bible is. Yeah, uh, it's just kind of done. So they don't do. This is what's interesting is that they lean super hard into that, and when they do it, it's like, okay, this vignette that you're doing feels more believable than most vignettes in other Jesus movies that are done like the same one. Yeah. Uh, but they don't, they don't like, we're not even going to try and connect this one to the next scene. It's like, here's the scene and here's the next scene we would like to show. So they do just lean into that. They do a lot and, of cutting from a quiet moment to chaos as well. Like, Oh, here's Jesus quiet moment with the disciples. Boom. Marketplace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how it's they like, train. That's how they now. they do the opposite of trying to hide the cut. They just like there's no way of this not being jarring. So let's just like make it jarring. Hey, audience, we're in a new place right now. Here's a goat. 
<laughs> yeah, just looking. Yep. And they're just they're just kind of they're just kind of zipping through the things they want to cover from the gospel message, but they have yeah. more time to do it because it's a mini series, so it feels more like the movie length. They spent a movie length amount of time on the um, the the um, uh, nativity narratives, yeah. And so they had time to flesh that out, and then they have more time to like G- walking up to Jesus's ministry, and so. And then what I found really interesting was that I was kind of split right down the middle on their Jesus. Yes, I know. (laughs) I am the same way. There are times I think he's great, and other times I'm just like, ugh. Because it's like true to their idea of we're just going to lean really heavily into this. Their Jesus looks like he was pulled right out of a painting. Like dead on. I know. They're like, we're not even going to try and pretend that this isn't, like, just an artist rendering. It is. (laughs) Yeah, but see, so, like, there's that strength of, like, well, that looks, I've seen that painting somewhere before of Jesus. (laughs) But also, he's a very, like, they don't feel like infusing him with any other personality than that painting would portray. Yeah. So he always feels, he always looks like he's perpetually haunted by knowledge that he has. Yeah. And even when he's looking right at someone, it never actually looks like he's making eye contact with anybody. You know, I I didn't really think about that before you just said it, but that's an interesting observation because um, uh, in the Orthodox Church, we we have icons, right? And Mm -hmm. one of um, the more famous icons is the Pantocrator, the creator of all. And um, he in it, Jesus, uh, you know, it's a, it's an Orthodox depiction of Christ. So it's not very realistic looking, you know, it's stylized as Byzantine art was, Mm. but one of the interesting things that I've read from people is that they get lost in his eyes. And one of the reasons, uh, there's an author named Frederica Matthews Green, who talks about his eyes are really strange in this icon because if you were to cover up one side of his face, he has a tremendously tender face. But if you cover the other side of his face, he looks a little more stern and like judgmental. Mm. Um, Interesting. And how, and, and also I was thinking of like Tarkovsky and Bresson and Dreyer, where they talk about like not using, um, not using too blatant of tools to manipulate your audience. Like I think um, like one of the things I don't care about the chosen and uh, other Christian movies that do this is like that, that spiritual moment where you have to have like some singing going and it's got to be vaguely Mediterranean and um, you know, all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, like the manipulation that, that, like it's trading on a Pavlovian response that you're counting on your audience having. It's not actually trying to make them feel worshipful. It's trying to trick them into feeling worshipful. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they talk about is how things lose their context if they're too blatantly about something. So um, I think it was Bresson was saying that uh a scene 
can't be about other scenes that are around it if it's taking up too much of that space. So I wonder if they're doing that, like, when Jesus is on screen, like, it's Jesus. Like, you can't do much with that. Like, it is going to dominate everything else that's happening because it's such a, um, I think, yeah, I had a conversation with Phil Warfel where he said Jesus or God is kind of like nudity in a movie. Like, if somebody is talking about it or there's a depiction of it, everyone will be looking there. So, Mm -hmm. like, if you want people to look elsewhere, you have to scale it back. Um. I wonder if that's part of it, like allowing us to infer inflections to imagine, to imagine the, the things that we might be thinking if we were in that crowd, you know, if there was a certain sense of, man, if we haven't, we don't know what Jesus's inflection was like, we don't want to enshrine Robert Powell's one performance and make it sound like mm-hmm. Jesus always talked in that way. Of course, the the reverse happens, you know, anyway. <laughs> Cause yeah, yeah, that thing. could that could be, yeah, because there is that that struggle of how much emphasis do you give a shot or a scene and how much do you let the audience's emotion play and how much do you help them across the finish line with music or performance. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it does, I think, if for better or worse, they've nailed this one, like, well, here's here's the painting. Yeah. We're going to, we're just going to lean into that. And so there are some times at which you look at him and you're like, Oh, that's Jesus. And then I, I found many times that it's just like, always, why would always... any, why would any kids be attracted to him? Yeah. Like yeah, the there's... chosen Jesus, you totally understand why the kids like being around him. Cause he's fun and yeah. he talks to them and treats them like people. But Jesus of Nazareth is a lot more similar to, like, the flannel graph version of that story that you would have gotten in Sunday school, you know, where the children are really the subjects of the conversation and not actually a part of it at all. Mm-hmm. It's a conversation between Jesus and the disciples, not the children. <laughs> yeah, 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 about they're this very calm. So it's... It's interesting. Yeah, I, I, it was a very, very interesting. What did you think of some of the other surrounding performances? Because that's what sticks out the most to me about Jesus of Nazareth is an amazing cast. Yeah, it's. Hmm. So. Like some of their. Yeah, so that's what's interesting because some of their cast, I felt like. Like Joseph and Mary just kind of vanish into the sunset, and Joseph dies. I'm like, okay, well, that's he's dead now, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and so some of their performances just kind of get lost in things, or in my in my preconceptions that come along with dubbed Italian film, you know, <laughs> where it's like, <laughs> like, oh, there's that. Okay, there's that guy. It's it almost ma- it, it makes it harder to judge acting, I think. Like when people are dubbing stuff or... Yeah. Because there's a disconnect that you can really feel and it can cover it. But um, yeah, like some really great actors are in this movie, like Michael York, Peter Ustinov, 
uh, Olivia Hussey. I mean, the the list goes on and on. Like every scene, and if if they're if they're a person in the Bible, someone famous is playing them in this movie. I did see a lot of big names in there, including yeah. uh, Earl. Jo- like I saw it when the opening Earl Jones, going. Yeah, I'm like what the heck? Well, yeah, he here's, here's what's funny is that. One of the other wise men who plays opposite him, I think he's he's enshrouded in the white linen. Yeah, um, I can't remember his name. It's like, uh, uh, oh, it's it's gonna it's gonna come to me. Uh, not Clarence, um, um, Donald Pleasance. Oh, right. He we yeah. had just seen him in back-to-back mystery science theater movies uh, as the villain. <laughs> so it didn't help me at all to get in at the very beginning. I'm like, oh, I know exactly awesome. who that is. <laughs> so, uh, so that was, so I saw his name. I recognized it. It was funny. I saw some of the other actors. I'm like, wow, those are, those are some, some A-list names. Yeah. And I, I thought like, this is what's interesting is because I thought the, the movie did a really good job choosing its identity of like, I'm going to lean into these vignettes and we're not going to stray from that. I'm like, great, good for you. You've got the space to do it. But in the places that they did choose to stray from it, they did really, really well. Like I thought my favorite part of this movie was how they handled Judas and the Sanhedrin. That was probably... I love that. I like the sec- section with Herod and his wife and John the Baptist and everything. Like seeing, I think sometimes when you get familiar with a story from the Bible, mm-hmm. like they seem almost like fairy tales, things that didn't really happen. Yeah. And especially when you see her in her litter and like some zealots attack her, Herodias. And you're like, oh, yeah, that is why they would hate this guy going around talking about this is because you could actually get close to people back then. Like things were not locked down and secure. Like um, it was a more dangerous world. And somebody being out in the wilderness talking about how you know, you made a big mistake by marrying your brother's wife. Yeah, guess what? Your brother's wife probably ain't going to like that guy very much. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, there's lots of things like that. Um, As opposed to like the famous Mel Gibson editions of like a demon baby in the passion. You know, (laughs) I, I like some of the editions in Jesus of Nazareth and in the chosen a lot better than that. Yeah. Yeah, Mel, Mel Gibson's a different different beast altogether. I really like the passion for different reasons. I do too. But, um, I think for oh man, we've had so many discussions about Roman Polanski <laughs> on this show, but um, he's, <laughs> it's like it. Yeah, we all know stuff about Mel Gibson, but for a minute we'll talk about justice filmmaking and justice filmmaking. Uh, he's remarkable at communicating not in English visually like his best movies, I think are apocalypto and passion of the Christ. Mm. Um, and neither one of them is in English. And I think it forces him to be very visual, very specific with what is getting subtitled and what's not getting subtitled. 
Um, yes, a lot of things tend to get simplified because he's doing things without long s- sections of exposition. Which um, in film is good. Yes. It's, yeah. it's not good for people who want film to be historically accurate, though. Um, people talk a more a lot more in real life than they do in art house films usually um, <laughs> unless it's one of those like unless it's my dinner with andre you know and there's plenty of talking in that hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah though i don't know uh there's a couple other jesus movies that i think are pretty good um i really like this one called the gospel of john um and i think it's on amazon prime right now but oh, it's actually word for word the Gospel of John. Okay. Um, That's got to be hard because Jesus is pretty wordy in the Gospel of John. I think it's oddly freeing. You know how we talked in film school about how learning to work within your constraints is creativity? I think so, yeah. And that does make sense as you say it. And that, like, if you don't have any limits or constraints you don't have to be creative you can just do whatever you want um the creativity comes in finding a way to say something imperfectly and i think in the gospel of john by constraining themselves so much it actually makes you pay attention to the performance more it's a way different performance as christ than i've ever seen before very different Mm. um do you think that's the same type of not phenomenon but um constraints or conditions that you see when people do um on stage renditions of shakespeare because they have to lock themselves into dialogue yeah. But so their their only their only freedom comes from how the setting is, what the performance is, because they can't stray yeah, from the blocking, the, text. the inflection, all of those things. Yeah. And I think that the because of that, it it highlights the things that you know they do have control over. You know, and so you really notice those other choices because you know, like while watching The Chosen, we come up to the scene with Nicodemus, which is, you know, one of my favorite sections of the scriptures. Mm. And so I'm watching this scene and I'm and I'm fighting the temptation to be asking myself the whole time. All right. How are they going to word this? But with the Gospel of John, I don't have that. I don't mm-hmm. have the how are they going to word this? Instead, it's how are they going to do this? Because mm. that's another one of my complaints about The Chosen is I feel like it's very standardly shot. Um, what do you mean by standardly shot? It's just not an exciting visual. Sh- it, like visually, it's not interesting hmm. to me. Um, it feels like every other modern Bible movie maybe a little higher budget in places, but they're mm-hmm. all on a sliding scale. You know, mm-hmm. Samson had a, wor- had a worse looking, uh, worse looking wardrobe, but, um, like risen had maybe slightly better one. You know, if you watch a lot of the Christian movies, like, you know, the, it's not much different mm-hmm. than say like in the new Ben-Hur. 
And yeah, I guess that's what I mean. It, it like doesn't pop. It feels like the Christian movie industry is somehow like becoming homogenous. Mm-hmm. And that every movie that's getting made is kind of the same. I don't know if you had a church library when you were uh, growing up. Um, but we, my dad was a church librarian and there was, you know, the kids section. And then over there were the adult books. And there was one, one section that was like the adult Christian women's fiction section. And it's got those like Amish romance or whatever, like movies where, or, uh, books that are like, they're like basically Christian romance novels. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's you're okay. Not wrong. It's okay because you're not lusting after his body. You're just lusting after his mind and his spiritual acumen and wishing your husband was like him. It's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I like every cover looks the same. You know, it's just a slight very, like, you know exactly what series I'm talking about, and I haven't named any of them. And Christian movies are becoming that, I feel like. And that makes me really nervous because it seems like Christianity is, in American Christianity at least, is once again falling into the trap of copying our culture and falling Mm -hmm. in love with it. The culture makes movies like that. The culture has homogenous, like, and yes, it does make money. Avengers makes money. But are you making these movies to make money? Are you making them because, I don't know, like whatever reason artists do make things. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, we could talk all day about why I as an artist choose to make one thing and not another. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like it's coming from an artistic place. It seems like it's coming from an industry place. Like, like even that sentence earlier that I was talking about where he's like, doesn't this deserve a bingeable show? It's like deserve. What is like, does it have the rights? Mm -hmm. Like as if somehow if it doesn't get a bingeable show, we've lost something, something that was deserved was missed. Like, that's just such a weird way to look at it for me. Yeah. I think I will ag- agree with you that a lot of the the Christian film industry, such as it is, is pretty homogenous and becoming more so consistently. Um, and But I, I do think that, um, mainly, well, yeah, mainly because their, their audience remains the same. And they don't have to, they don't have to explore things with this audience. They can they can, it's all in house. So you can have these safe, you don't have to take risks. You can keep it safe with subject matter. You have to, you have to keep it nice and clean, not only in content, but also in the way you shoot it. Uh, it's so it's, it's all kind of the same. Um, I think there are some elements of that within, within the chosen, but I did appreciate its contrast within maybe the subset genre of quote unquote, Jesus movies. Hmm. Oh, it's not a movie. It's just, uh, regardless of what Dallas's feelings are about his his purpose, um, that it does. It is. I mean, it's not. Here's the thing. I 
from a technical standpoint, I think it's very well shot. It's not excitingly shot. Yes. Like the guy, the, the, it's shot so you can see things. The cinematographer they hired is an accredited (laughs) one, I think from Greece or wherever they were on location at. And he knows what he's doing. He knows how to pick his glass. He knows how to frame his shots and they're, they're coloring it decently well. So from a technical standpoint, they're doing what they need to do. Most of the time. Yes. It's just, here's a two shot over the shoulder, over the shoulder. Yeah. Uh, and so there's not, there's nothing exciting going on at the cement. Like it's not as if Deacons himself came down and touched the film, and came that's, down that's like he's in heaven. Like he's in heaven, you know, he's, he's like the top of the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's but that's okay for most of the, of the film or miniseries because the the stories they're trying to tell don't require me to be chasing them with a shoulder rig or. Or coming down from a dolly crane. Yeah. Um, sometimes I wish it were more exciting, but I, I don't, don't think even it's mean. I don't even mean exciting as much as I just feel like actually composed. Like w- one of my favorite Japanese director is Ozu, um, and he does like a lot of these small family dramas. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of his movies are about the transition of Japan from the culture before World War II to the culture after and the intergenerational differences between families. And they're gorgeous movies. But there are no chase scenes. There are no shootouts. They're all conversations around dinner and walking, you know, like standing in the lobby outside the theater and stuff like that. But his attention to how he uses, like, symmetry to highlight certain things, to draw out a sense of the geography of the place that you're in, to help you feel like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is a place owned by someone who is adopting Western culture more than this person is. You know, like, that sort of thing isn't, like, like you said, it's technically shot well and that's what i was talking about it feels like a movie that's constructed like they ticked all the boxes and said oh you can see them well the coloring is okay check 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 it's a good movie and it's like good movie like you wouldn't look at starry night like that by van gogh or you know the, it, you know any of the other great like famous paintings that we all know you don't you wouldn't look at them and and check 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 yes it's good you look at it and you go wow i'm seeing something i've never seen before and i like here i'll give you an example of some mm-hmm. of a moment in another movie that did this for me and it's actually a jesus movie so um I grew up Protestant, but I had a lot of Catholic family. Um, mm-hmm. And so I knew a fair amount about Catholic theology. And then going into uh, the Passion of the Christ, um, knowing that they believe in like transubstantiation and things like that. I mean, I'd have debates with people about it. Like whether Jesus is literally present in the Eucharist. Then I saw the Passion of the Christ. And there's a moment in it where he is being nailed to the cross and the it's being intercut with scenes from the Last Supper 
where he's talking about my body being broken for you, my blood being shed for you. And then as the cross is being raised up, he intercuts with a shot of him at the Last Supper with the bread in his hands and him lifting it to the disciples. Like his hands go up a little bit as he hands it to them. And I was just like, I think I just learned something about communion. Mm-hmm. I just had an experience at that moment where I understood communion in a way that all of the Sunday school and, uh, you know, theology books that I'd read or conversations I'd had with a priest or a pastor. And it was that movie that really started me down that road of, cause that was probably one of the bigger, uh, reasons that I ended up becoming Orthodox is that particular theology. Mm. And I just don't see the chosen's not doing that. It's not lifting me to a greater knowledge of Christ and his work for me and my relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, that's I think it's ultimately why I don't care for it as much and why I do like Nicodemus's story. Cause I do see myself in Nicodemus's story because he's mm-hmm. a student, he's a scholar. Like, I mean, I've, I've read so many theology books. Like I spent so much of my life trying to figure out my spiritual life. I feel like I really identify with that character in a way that I didn't feel like I identified with the other characters. Even though I've been a laborer, I've been a day laborer, I've worked in factories, I've had those jobs that like Peter and James and John have. Um, but I didn't feel a camaraderie with them. And I, yeah, I think that was disappointing for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think because it, it does, there are some characters that I know like Nicodemus, uh, their, his story arc can be relatable. And I know that I, um, I found myself getting excited when I see, whenever I see the humanness of the Bible shown, like shine forth in both what Jesus is doing and like his followers, however well they're acted or not well get excited about like, man, this is so weird. Like, I think what, what are we going to do about this? Like, mm-hmm. I think I should, I think I should go. And just that excitement resonates with me in a way that I'm like, man, yeah, I'm going to go right now. I'm going to quit my jobs. Let's do it. I'm going to go. Yeah. Like, and I get really excited about that. But there I think is some right. of that there for sure. It, it makes me remember what it was like in my twenties. Yeah, exactly. Because you're just like, sure, I'll leave my parents' house and go work for nothing at a Bible camp for three years. Yeah. (laughs) Put no money away and come out poor as dirt. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. And then I'll go to film school and really make some bank. There, Yeah, there it is. I'll make some bank. (laughs) The best Jesus movie the world has ever seen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But I think think you're right. Now that you're describing it, where – you know, both from the cinematography standpoint and then also as you're describing the editing as well, like it was more of a case of they know how to use these tools and they have a message they want, like they have a message they want to, how do I word this? Like they're trying to put forth. Yeah. And so like that message in the way they want to put it forth, they do. But like, 
there is some feeling of looking at the cinematography and how that could have been used or looking at the editing and its ability to tell a story. Like there's some lost potential of like, you have this idea and the idea you want to execute, you pull it off. But like, there's some potential right behind it of you could have used the editing to tell the story without so many words or a different way or Matt, like this maximal greatness in both of these art forms as they are meant to tell stories. I think I see that there where they're, they're doing an average job, tell a pretty decent story that stands above some of its contemporaries. Yeah. But not maximizing the art forms fully. Yeah, with, well, to like and, in a way that makes you think in like a new higher meta level. Than yeah, what it's in. like it's like the difference between you know getting a Lego set that and and building it and going like oh cool I just made this X wing or this Millennium Falcon or whatever right, mm-hmm. but there are some sets that when you build them you're like oh. I never thought of using a piece like that. And it changes how you build all of your own models for the rest of your life. Because you never thought of using that piece sideways before instead of right side up. Or you've never thought of, yeah, it's, it's like that. And I, I feel like part of the issue is that, um, a kind of a fundamental, difference with the way that I approach film and media um, and what I'm hoping to find in it is that it seems like most films, like you were talking about, they have a message they want to put out there, right? Mm-hmm. Like as soon as somebody says, this is the message I'm trying to put out there, I stop. It's just, like, well, I mean, there's this there's this expectation because it's Jesus. Like, I understand what you're saying. There's this expectation, though, because it's a Jesus thing. You kind of know what it's going to be about. Like, there's not much room to move around in it. I mean, you, you mentioned your Mel Gibson's thing with the passion. Yeah. And that's, like, I, I vaguely remember that scene. But as you're describing it, I'm like, oh, that's beautiful intercutting. Like, as an editor, I would love to eat that scene up. That's fantastic. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> but it's it's like... Um, everybody has a message they're trying to proclaim. If they try to proclaim it too overtly, it becomes propaganda in the nicest sense of the word. You know? Yeah. Well, um, I think Tarkovsky talks about how it, it's varying degrees. Like, the more you try to exert your will upon the audience, the more you are giving them a false experience. Um, because that's not how it happened to you like or whatever yeah it there's this there's this idea taken from many different philosophies and from ways that editors talk to the audience in film that there's this process that you have to get into when you're telling a story or editing i guess i'll speak to it as an editor that you want to and this is explained this is explained very simply and briefly in inception it's not the concept that it's built upon, but this idea of your, the audience has their own assumptions they're coming to. And for a while, as long as you satisfy those assumptions, you can, you have the power if you handle it well to subtly shift the direction of not only the narrative, 
but what they're feeling. If you understep that, you don't get to really utilize it. If you overstep that, then you have that moment where you're saying, here is what the message is. Uh, and that can turn yeah. some people off if they're not already tracking with you. So there's there's a sense at which you want to try and balance those things. And you have a message that you're trying to show, something that's important to you that you're trying to show. But I've noticed the best films are the ones that at the end of the day show it very broadly and loosely um, in a way that the audience is left to come to their own conclusion about the deeper meaning of the film. But in some, a lot of the times on their own, they'll come to the same conclusion that the author came to. Yeah. And that's, I think why it especially feels wrong when movies are made by religious people in that way, or lots of other groups too. And including what I would say, the advent of the blockbuster is when like, commercial entities really glommed on to the idea that um like the what is the purpose of the avengers movies to sell toys <laughs> they don't care what those movies say as long as they sell toys sure um and it starts to feel that way from christians too we don't care how much we have to manipulate you how dishonestly we have to draw this atheistic character, how sugar-coated we have to make our hero, we are going to get our message across because we do not trust you to give you real art and you not come to our conclusion. And after all, the goal is for you to agree with us. Yep. Whereas when... I look at the films that I'm wanting to make in the future as a Christian. I'm not trying to control my audience. I'm trying to control like this room that they're going to walk into called the movie. Mm -hmm. But I want their honest reaction to that room. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want them to walk out of that room and be like, yeah, it was awesome. And the reason is just because there was a lot of thumping music in there. And I played it over whatever my other message was. I want them to walk in there and really be moved by what they see. And like, I've done these movie discussions uh, with pretty much total strangers um, at Celebration Woodland before they closed. And afterwards, what was great about those discussions is you talk to people and hear what they thought about the movie. And Mm. half the time they'd be talking about the movie they just saw. The other half of the time they'd be talking about things that happened to them in their life that the movie reminded them of, that the movie made them reevaluate or think about in a different way. And like, you know, I've never, I know I'm harping on the Avengers because they're one of my dead horses to beat but um (laughs) i've never walked out of an avengers movie and thought man i never really thought about you know that before the hmm yeah the 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 power of evil the power of good huh never what would i (laughs) how would that have changed my life you know when 
I felt that sense of injustice when I was 13 when my dad punished me unjustly for that thing I didn't do. I did feel a little bit like Captain America. You know, like nobody yeah. talks like that. Yeah. I've not met a ton of people who have. <laughs> that's no. the, to me, like, that's the difference between art. One of the differences between art and entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I feel like at the end of the day, chosen is more entertainment than art. Hmm. And I'm just not as interested in like that style of entertainment, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. I, yeah. We'll see how they do coming up with things. One last um, note. I know I've been, we've been chatting for quite a while here, but yeah. surprise, we're talking about movies and Jesus. Chris and Mike rambled. Um, <laughs> but uh, to something you said earlier about how Jesus movies are always the same because you're dealing with the same material. Well, not that they're, not that they're this, I mean, but, they do but have that, that, that's you know, a challenge. Yeah, like where they, they, they have a more overt message that they're trying to either work with or work around. So here's what's interesting about that. I watched for the first time this last year, Last Temptation of Christ. Okay. Um, I've not I've, seen that. You should. It's great. Okay. It's one of the best Jesus movies ever made. Hmm. And one of the reasons that it works the way that it does is because Scorsese doesn't care about making the gospel come to life in exactly the way that it does. Sure. Instead, in some ways, he thinks about the things that Jesus was accused of and like the way that religious people felt about him. And instead of having him do the things that he actually did, he has him do things that would make religious people today mad mm-hmm. to provoke the same emotion in, in the viewer as the Pharisees would have had. Because you can say, oh, Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. And all the Christians will be like, well, yeah, the Pharisees should have seen, you know, like they couldn't see. They were blind by their prejudice, their preconceived ideas that this sin was so bad. They just couldn't see past it. And so Martin Scorsese makes Jesus tempted to be gay. Because what would make religious people mad today? Not if he was eating with a tax collector, but... If he thought about kissing a boy, that would make Christians mad. Mm -hmm. And so it's like there's different kinds of truth in this story. There's the truth as it actually happened, but there's also the, the emotional truth. Like the feelings that the people felt that were involved. And replicating those could be a very different thing than just replicating the facts. So, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. That's a, that's a tricky thing to pull off too. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a really good movie. I think like there's things that will definitely challenge, be challenging in that movie for you as there were mm-hmm. for me. But I think ultimately I found it to be a very meaningful spiritual experience to watch that movie and think about it afterwards. Mm. so yeah i would definitely recommend that one sure yeah i've seen it come up on my radar quite a bit from both sides of the opinion of it's yeah, a great movie never it's watch it or 
or never watch it. Yeah, I there are movies in the past that I've made promises never to watch, and that I think that was actually one of them to somebody can't remember now but i remember uh, when i did watch it i called them and told them because i still have too much of that protestant like oh this guy that i made a promise to 20 years ago when i was 13 and he probably doesn't even remember but i feel a <laughs> sense that i need to go t- apologize for breaking my promise <laughs> yeah we're, we're so ridiculous <laughs> Oh, well, it was great talking to you, man. I uh, really appreciated the recommendation. I actually had a lot of fun watching the show, even if it wasn't my favorite. So, Yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see if anyone, anybody rises from the Christian film scene like a phoenix. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Chosen, chosen, chosen's a step if, in the right direction. If, it's not there If the yet, film industry survives. If it survives. If it survives. No, you hear my... Uh, I've got a new idea for where I think the film industry goes. At least oh. I hope so. Okay. I hope it collapses. Great. And we start just showing movies in our backyard again. Hmm. Because think about the hyper-localized film scenes that you could have if you were only making films for your neighborhood. You didn't care what people in New York might think of it because the people in New York aren't going to see it probably. But you're just making them for the people in your literal backyard. But I don't know. That's something I've been thinking about. If theaters close down, what that means for like groups of friends that want to watch films together and if you want to try and replicate that experience a little bit. Yeah. It'll probably just shift over to streaming only. That's the way it's been going anyway. Right. And that's how Michael Cioni was like. But as far as like how we're viewing it, I I think we're I think people are going to have their own little backyard theaters and stuff if we can't keep theaters going. Because I I think there are mm-hmm. always going to be people like me and you that want to see something on a big projection screen. Yeah, and, that is that is one of the ways to view it, or one of the best ways to view it. Yeah. So. All right. Well, you have a great rest of your week, Chris. Thanks for talking to me once again. Sure thing. All right. You have a good one. You too, man.